excuse me, <laughs> sorry about that. If you turn your Bible to Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, we have a familiar story, but a magnificent story. As Jesus is on his way through Jericho, he brings salvation to a wicked little man. Luke chapter 19, if you just have your Bible, you can look at the context as Luke is just following Jesus as he goes along. Um, Jesus um, just had a conversation with a rich young ruler who was uh, wealthy as well. We see that in Luke 18, verse 18 and following. And then Jesus says, this is why we're going to Jerusalem, to die. And then uh, last week we saw Jesus healing a blind Bartimaeus in Jericho. And uh, now... um, He's going to heal a spiritually stone-blind man, Zacchaeus, and God gives him the eyes to see. Let's give, us, give our attention to God's word. Luke 19, beginning at verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, They all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's bow our heads and ask the Lord's blessing on his word. God in heaven, we thank you that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. We thank you that your word is life and health and peace for those who will receive it. And Lord, it is, uh, it is a heavy burden uh, that will be to the, the judgment of those who do not receive it. And so we pray that you give us the grace today to hear uh, and to open our hearts to receive this Jesus by faith. We pray in his name. Amen. This morning we have a, a story about a little man in a big gospel. Uh, it's a story about the corrupting power of sin and the marvelous transforming power of Jesus Christ. If you love stories of lives radically changed by the power of grace, uh, the power of love and kindness of God, this is your story. Uh, what we have here is God doing uh, the impossible thing that Jesus was talking about in uh, the previous story. Remember with the uh, rich young ruler. This man comes to Jesus and he is, he's wealthy, he's very moral, he's very religiously sincere, and he comes with a very good question. And Jesus says, um, uh, have you, what about the Ten Commandments? Because the man asks, how, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I get to Abraham's table? 
in the, in the, uh, the kingdom to come. And, and Jesus says, well, sell all you have and uh, give it to the poor. Come and follow me and you will have eternal life. And the man went away sad. Why? Because he was very wealthy. And, and Jesus says, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples said, well, then who can be saved? If this wealthy, uh, man, this man who is, his wealth is the evidence of God's kindness to him, because he's a moral man, he's a religious man, he's probably the ruler of the synagogue, if he can't be saved, well, who, who can be saved? And Jesus says, well, with men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And here in our story this morning, God does the impossible. He saves a wealthy man, but it's not a story that is going to bring cheer to the hearts of the crowd. As you see, um, they're, they're going to grumble. There's a scandal in our story this morning. There are um, many people who uh, have some sort of faith in, in Jesus, but they're, they're not, their faith isn't really as big enough yet to handle this story. Uh, the, the, the wealthy man who's who was the moral man, he's lost, and the wealthy man whose wealth is evidence of his corruption, he's, he's found. Uh, and so they grumble. So we have here a, a story that's um, meant to show us the nature of, of saving faith, the nature of uh, who Jesus is, why he came. And so you have an outline, and maybe they'll help you follow along this morning. Uh, first, we're just looking at the sinner. Uh, Jesus entered into Jericho. And uh, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Uh, Jesus has just healed blind Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is undoubtedly in the crowd. We read in that story that the people had marveled, and they're still marveling undoubtedly as Jesus is making his way through the town. But uh, they do not marvel at what Jesus is about to do. And here again is the, the scandal of the, the story. Um, they are rejoicing and praising God over the healing of blind Bartimaeus. They are not rejoicing and praising God over the uh, salvation of Zacchaeus. They are grumbling and complaining. Why? Well, people uh, often tend to have a sense of entitlement. Um, we reserve to ourselves the right to decide who is appropriate for God's favor and his kindness and his salvation? And in our minds, there are certain people who there's a fitness about them being uh, shown the favor and kindness of God. And, and, um, and for religious people, they struggle with this. There's other people who are, well, they're just not so fit. And the people clearly uh, do not think Zacchaeus ought to be uh, a friend of God. Why? Well, because he's the chief tax collector. He's not just a tax collector who are, as you know, universally despised. He's, he's the head honcho of the tax collector. He's the regional director. So if you uh, lived in World War II during, uh, in France during um, World War II, and um, Zacchaeus was not just a member of the Gestapo, he was the, the captain. He was the, the, the regional director of the Gestapo. He's, he's the traitorous uh, right, Frenchman uh, cooperating with the Nazis uh, to make sure that, that the oppression of the Nazis is thorough. Well, that's, that's uh, Zacchaeus. Uh, boys and girls, if uh, uh, Zacchaeus is like Sheriff of Nottingham Forest, right? Just this mean, selfish, greedy. Little man, nobody likes him except maybe his mother. 
and his greedy little wife. Nobody else likes him. He's just a not, he's not a good person. He's a vile person. He's a wicked man. And so he would be profoundly despised. I want you to notice a couple things in the text. There's a surprise in the story. Because this filthy, greedy little man has a longing in his soul that you wouldn't have expected. He wants to see Jesus. It makes sense to us when we find the rich young ruler running to ask a question. It it makes sense to us when Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night and asks him a question. That's the sort of thing that that morally concerned, uh, spiritually minded, sincere people do. They, They ask good questions and they come to Jesus and there's a rightness to it. But we're surprised when uh, drug dealers and gang leaders and pimps do it. Uh, we wouldn't have expected that there's a, there's a desire there, a hunger there for Christ. But it turns out there is. Zacchaeus is the last man in town. Anyone would have, have had expected would have any moral concerns whatsoever. But he's not just concerned about morality, he's concerned about Jesus. We find in this story, you see that, that um, God is no respecter of persons. And in fact, it's precisely people like Zacchaeus who, who get the blessings, people who, who have a sense of how desperately they need them. And I want you to see the, the wonderful gospel urgency in this story as well. Uh, Zacchaeus is not mildly curious about Jesus. He's not content to stand on his tiptoes or try to peek under elbows uh, to try to catch a glimpse as Jesus is going by. He needs a real line of sight. He's undoubtedly heard things about this Jesus. Uh, People say that he's a great man of God, the greatest that uh, they've ever seen or heard of, and yet he's heard rumors that this great teacher, this man of God, this holy man, is willing to fellowship with prostitutes and tax collectors. Look, that's relevant. And it's highly unusual. So who is this guy? Who who is this Jesus? He needs to see Jesus. There's the same urgency in Zacchaeus that we find in blind Bartimaeus. There's something inside of them, you see, that he just... Zacchaeus cannot bear the idea of Jesus leaving town without without at least seeing him, possibly even meeting him. He he was seeking to see who Jesus was. There is no more necessary search in all the world than that search. It's the difference between life and death, to to know who Jesus is. What is eternal life? Eternal life is this, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus, the Christ, whom you have sent. So Zacchaeus' search to see who Jesus is, to understand who is this man, that that is both the, the prophet, the holy man of God, and the friend of sinners. To figure that, to get the answer to that question is, is to find the answer to life. But Zacchaeus has a problem. He is small in stature. I think that's a kind way of Luke saying it. <clears throat> it just sounds better than short. He's small in stature. That's what Luke says. 
And being small in stature presents certain challenges in life and requires certain innovations. And Zacchaeus, uh, being small in stature, needs a plan of action. He's not going to get a glimpse of Jesus uh, through to these, these crowds. So he runs on ahead, the text says, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree. Uh, scholars assure us that both of these activities, running in public and climbing trees in public, would have been uh, studiously avoided by uh, any self-respecting man of that day, much less a wealthy man. It just wasn't, it wasn't proper. Children ran down the streets. Children climbed trees. Not grown men with a reputation... But once again, we find here a man who doesn't care what people think. Remember when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was passing by, he begins bellowing, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. And people say, hey, quiet down. And when, they, when he hears quiet down, he just turns up the volume. He doesn't care what people think. He's desperate to have an audience with Jesus. And Zacchaeus has exact the same urgency. He doesn't care what people think. When salvation is passing by and you are a drowning man, you're willing to throw social custom and convention to the side, your pride aside. It doesn't matter what others think. It doesn't matter what they might say. You have to see Jesus. That's what's driving this sinner. And then we come to the Savior. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry up, come down. For I must stay at your house today. I just love how uh, every word here is so rich. When, when Jesus, when the Savior came to the place, aren't you glad that God comes to where we are? Aren't you glad Jesus was willing to leave all the beauty and the glory and the splendor of dwelling at the Father's right hand and was willing to come to this earth so that he could come to the very place where you live and speak to you? It's, it's evident from the story, you see, that, that Jesus knew exactly where he was going and why he was going there and, and that he's, um, he stops at this place because he has an appointment. It must have been uh, sort of stunning for Zacchaeus. He thought that he was looking for Jesus, but, but surprisingly he finds that Jesus was looking for him. Jesus stops exactly where he was, looks at Zacchaeus and calls him by name. Zacchaeus, hurry down. How does Jesus know his name? He's clearly never met him before. Well, we know the story, we have the answer to that. Jesus knew his name from all eternity. He knew Zacchaeus before he was born. Remember, Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the one who knit little Zacchaeus together in his mother's womb. Jesus ordained all the number of his days before one of them came to be. Jesus knew every thought, motive, word, action, attitude of this man's life before one of them even happened. And Jesus knows that every single uh, one of them is deserving of condemnation because they all fall short of the glory of God. And that's what makes Jesus' words so beautiful, so full of grace. We, we, we remember the little the, the song, Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm, do they sing that song anymore? For I'm going to your house today. That was a big hit when I was young. But the, <laughs> <laughs> how, 
How does, uh, we're just used to the story. This is astonishing. The Son of God is speaking to an absolute reprobate and saying, Zacchaeus, you got to get down because we're, I'm coming to your house for dinner today. I'm coming to your house to, to fellowship with you, Zacchaeus. And there's a wonderful urgency in, the, in, in Jesus' voice. Hurry up, Zacchaeus. Come on, get down. I must go to your house today. Why must Jesus do this? Because it's why he came. He came to seek and to save the lost. And there is no one in all of Jericho that is more profoundly lost than this little wicked man. He's as lost as lost can be. And Jesus must do this today. This is the day of salvation for Zacchaeus. This is the day where uh, the sovereign purpose of God, the sovereign saving plan of God is going to be unfolded right in front of Zacchaeus for he and his, and his house. There's a, there's a wonderful urgency as Jesus now rescues right in plain view of everyone this wicked man from the damnation he deserves and brings him into the family of God. Just wonderful divine initiative here. As all salvation is, it was not I that found, O Savior, true. It was, uh, no, no, I was found, found by thee. That's the story of our life. J.C. Ryle says, if ever there was a soul that was sought and saved without having done anything to deserve it, that soul was the soul of Zacchaeus. Unasked, the Lord stopped and spoke to Zacchaeus. Unasked, he invited himself to be a guest in the house of a sinner. Unasked, he gave this wicked man the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit and placed him that very day among the children of God. All of it unasked. It's wonderful. And so the sinner, the Savior, and then the salvation. So we read verse 6. He, Zacchaeus, hurried down and received him joyfully. Zacchaeus is overjoyed. It's clear that he had... Um, was not just wanting to sort of see what Jesus looked like. Zacchaeus had a sense he needed this Jesus. And, and, uh, and now he finds that everything he'd heard about Jesus, that he was a friend of sinners, is proving to be true for him. The chief of sinners. The chief tax collector. And so he receives him into his home. And Zacchaeus knows what the people are saying. He knows the rules. He knows what religious leaders are allowed to do and not allowed to do in, in the arena of public opinion. He knows they're not supposed to be in his house. So he knows what people are saying. And yet here is Jesus, willing to be despised, willing to be mocked, willing to be judged by the crowds for, for befriending this known, wicked, vile, filthy man. And to have fellowship, to come into his house and to eat with him is a, is a sign of favor, a sign of acceptance. Zacchaeus is overwhelmed that Jesus would be willing to do this for him. And I believe, according to Scripture, where Paul says, don't you know that it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance? I believe it is exactly the love and kindness of Christ's um, 
just demeanor towards him, Jesus invited himself over, Jesus being willing publicly to, to say, yes, I'm a friend of Zacchaeus, and I'm going to go to his house today. It's that love and grace and kindness that finally broke his wicked heart and led this man to Zacchaeus. And so in verse 8, Zacchaeus stands up and says, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And here's, we just see the nature of saving faith. Saving faith involves a... uh, a joyful receiving, or we should maybe say conversion. There's, there's faith and repentance in conversion. And we see a joyful receiving and an earnest repenting. A joyful receiving. There's, <clears throat> I believe that Luke means, intends, primarily when he says that, that, that um, Zacchaeus received him joyfully, that, that Zacchaeus received him into his home. But you see, this is exactly what faith does as well. Faith is a receiving. It's not a doing. It's not a promising. It's an accepting. It's a taking for yourself um, what is freely given. Faith is is the, the, the empty hand of a beggar reaching out, believing that God is willing to give. There's nothing in the hand but need. It's a receiving, not a doing. Faith, secondly, is a receiving of Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus received him. I think people uh, make, uh, make a mistake here, thinking that, that faith is uh, primarily about reaching out to get saved, or reaching out to be forgiven, reaching out looking for peace or everlasting life or, or for healing of some sort or other. Well, faith is fundamentally, you see, about receiving Jesus. I want Jesus. And, and in Jesus, more than all in him, I find. There, there's, there's salvation and forgiveness and peace with God and everlasting life. But, but you see, it's Jesus that I'm seeking when I come in saving faith. Not merely the things of Christ, but Christ himself and all the blessings of God that come through him. And, and saving faith is a joyful receiving of this Jesus. Jesus himself speaks of that when, when he talks uh, the parable in Matthew 13 of this, of this man who went out and, and found treasure hidden in the field. And with joy, he went and sold everything he had so that he could have that field. Isaiah in chapter 12 says that, that with joy, God's people would draw water from the wells of salvation. There's, there's joy in faith. And not that it's a requirement, right? There's not a, there's not a certain level of joy you have to have before you can be saved. And, and that joy is, is not going to be consistent all through your life. But you see, joy is simply the in, inescapable evidence that you understand what you're doing when you come to Jesus. For, for example, if I... Um, if I said to you, say I was driving down 28th Street the other day and uh, they got a nice Porsche dealership there and I, <clears throat> I stopped in, sort of a spur of the moment thing and uh, I, I bought you a new Porsche and you just, you just got to pick it up tomorrow. And if you said, oh, okay. I would say, do you know what a Porsche is? Did you hear me say that I just bought a Porsche? 
for you tomorrow. Because there's nothing you see in your demeanor that I don't, I'm not sure you know what a Porsche is. Because um, otherwise there'd be a different response, I think. Or if I gave you a million dollars, do you know what a million dollars could do? Whatever it might be, you see. If, joy isn't the requisite. It's just understanding what's going on. So when, if people come to Jesus and say, yeah, I believe you. Are you sure you know who Jesus is? Are you, you sure you understand who he actually is as the second person of the Trinity and what he did coming to, to die for you? Do, do you understand where you were headed? Do you understand what you deserved? And, and do you understand what has been freely given to you by, by grace and through faith alone? So do you know what you actually say you believe? I don't think you can come to a sinner, to Jesus, as a sinner, deserving condemnation and, and finding in Jesus Christ all the love and the favor of God for you, you personally and, and eternally, and then receive that gift to yourself and not have joy. Saving faith involves, you see, a spiritual understanding of who Jesus is and, and a conviction of the truth of the gospel and that I need that gospel. And then a glad acceptance and receiving of that glorious Jesus for me, for my sin and my salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you, yes, you, right there in your seat this morning, you will be saved. That's the promise of the gospel. And so we're saved by faith and faith alone as we receive Christ for ourselves. But saving faith is never alone. We know that. And we don't see it alone here either. It always includes an earnest repenting. And that's what we find in Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus stood and says to the Lord, Behold, half of my goods uh, I give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone, which would be the biggest mis, uh, misstatement, right? I mean, it, if I've defrauded anyone, he's made a life out of defrauding people. He's not trying to be cheesy here. He's, um, he's just saying the fact. Everyone I have defrauded, I will repay. And not just uh, repay what I've defrauded, not even double what I've defrauded, defrauded them, which was the Old Testament requirement, fourfold. Zacchaeus, you see, he's going to bankrupt himself, basically, in, in his response to Christ. But I want, what I want you to see here is, is how does that happen? Because here we have two men. The rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. Both of them, all their life, loved money. We know that. Zacchaeus wouldn't be doing what he was doing if he didn't love money. And one of them, seeing Jesus and speaking with Jesus and being invited by Jesus to everlasting life, one of them walks away. And the other one gives it away. What happened? What's the difference? Well, it's very interesting, isn't it? Jesus doesn't tell Nicodemus, uh, Nicodemus, you need to uh, give half your money to the poor, and then you need to pay back everybody you defrauded. Jesus doesn't even tell him that. Zacchaeus offers it. And friends, what you see here is, is, is the power of the gospel. This is, this is what grace and grace alone can do. The reason you see Zacchaeus is willing to take this, this extravagant step of repentance is because he loves Jesus and he hates his sin. If he was favorably disposed to Jesus and still somewhat infatuated with his money, this would not have happened. 
But he loves Jesus. And loving Jesus, he hates everything opposed to Jesus. Every other idol, every other pretend God, um, everything that is, that is contrary to the will of God, every other uh, love Zacchaeus hates. That's why he does what he does. He wants now to do nothing more than to, to follow this Jesus and to use the wealth that he has to honor God and bless other people. That's exactly how it works. If, if you're trying to grow as, as a Christian, but, but the truth is you don't love Jesus and you are favorably disposed, uh, you're, you're sort of infatuated still with your sin, this is going to be a hard sledding. Because you'll be deciding, how much do I give up? How much of my pride do I, am I willing to lose? How much of my, my self-control? How much of my self-will? How much of my self-reliance am I, am I willing to let go? And, what, and how much exactly would I have to let go in order to follow Jesus? Well, that's completely coming at it from the wrong side. You, you just can't possibly make progress that way. So, so repentance happens when you say, Lord... I recognize the problem here. The problem is I don't love Jesus and, and I'm in love with my sin. And, and when you can be that honest, um, that's where, and then, and then beg for the mercy of God, that's where the grace of God can come through. Lord, give me a love for you and then a hatred for everything that opposes you in such a way that I'm, I'm leaping at the opportunity to repent. I don't want to be driven there. I want to be compelled, as Paul says, by the love of Jesus Christ. And so that's the, that's, that's the repentance. That's a repentance unto everlasting life. It, it's, it's not just confessing that you did something wrong. Pagans can do that without any help of the Holy Spirit. It's not just an expression of sorrow. Many people can experience sorrow. It's, it's certainly not a promise to never do it again. It's a glad commitment in view of everything that God has done for you so wonderfully in Jesus. All the love and the kindness and grace poured out on you as a sinner. So that now you say, Lord, I want to follow Jesus, my Lord. I want to go to war with my sin. I want to go to war with it. I don't want to coddle it. I don't want to make peace with it. I want to go to war with it. Westminster Shorter Catechism 87, repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, critical, does with hatred of his sin, and then I would just like to add, and with joy in his Savior, turns from it to God with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. So you see, Zacchaeus isn't repenting just because he hates his sin. He's repenting because he loves his Savior. He's delighting in Jesus. And that repentance, like faith, is a gift that God gives, and it's a wonderful, wonderful grace. It's a wonderful grace. Re repentance has got a bad rap. I think people think it's the bad thing you have to do when you get caught or, or after you come under conviction. When in fact, repentance is the wonderful thing we get to do every single day in Jesus Christ. That every day I am free to turn away from the world and my flesh and the devil. I'm, I'm, every day I'm, I'm, I'm free in Christ to turn away from all that would destroy me and dishonor him. I'm free to turn every day back to Jesus for his grace, his mercy, his power every day. Martin Luther, the first thesis of the 95 pounded on the, on the door of Wittenberg is that every day 
of the Christian is a life. The life of a Christian is a life of repentance. Your whole life long. And it's not, that's not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing that God has, gone, has done in our hearts. And there's a reward for that. The reward is today, Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. Since he also is the son of Abraham. These are big words. They are ripe words. You just prick them and they just ooze goodness. Salvation, all the grace and love and favor of the thrice holy God for sinners in Jesus has come to this house. There's a, there's a covenant reality here. Jesus isn't talking about the structure. He's talking about the household. That this is, salvation has not just come to Zacchaeus, but as Zacchaeus is the head of this home, salvation has come to Zacchaeus' household. But the, the most surprising word in the, in the whole sentence is this. Salvation has come to this house, Zacchaeus' house, the Gestapo chief's house, his house. That's the shocker. Why? Well, Jesus says it because he's a son of Abraham. Since he also is a son of Abraham, and a son of Abraham, as Paul's going to explain to us, is not just ethnically of Abraham, but spiritually of Abraham. Someone who, like Abraham, is declared just before God, not by his works, but because of faith. Righteousness that's received by faith and faith alone as a gift that God gives. That's uh, how Abraham was saved, and to be a son of Abraham is to be saved in the very same way. Isn't that good news? That Jesus is not inviting you to work harder, to do more, to strive, to be better. Jesus says there's a free gift for sinners in the, in the, in the gospel. For great sinners. Received by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And friends, that Jesus is here today. I don't know where your heart is. He does. I don't know why you're here this morning. Maybe you don't even know why. But I know that Jesus is here on purpose today. In his word and spirit through his sacrament, he's here on purpose. He's here seeking and saving the lost. He knows exactly what he's about. And he's calling every single one of us, whether we've been a Christian all of our life, whether we've never been a Christian a day in our life. He's calling all of us to repent and believe, to follow after him. Let's pray that God gives us that grace. Let's bow. Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he's here today. I thank you that this is not just a nice story about something that happened a long time ago. This is the Jesus that we, that we need. The Jesus that left to ourselves we will ignore. But oh God in heaven, I thank you that you, you bring us to your worship and your word, to your table, so that we would be able to see who Jesus is. And so Lord, whatever blindness or bondage there is in this room this morning, whatever pride, whatever apathy, whatever deadness. Oh God, I pray that you would give us the ability to see Jesus. What a devastating thing if, if he walked right on by. 
and we were still lost in our sin. And so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would give that beautiful grace of faith and repentance that we could experience new life, transformed life with brand new loves, a love for Christ, a love for God, a love for his people, a love for his church, his bride, his word, a love for his grace, a love for his mission in the world. And all the former loves of our life are just fading and dying. And so, Lord, transform us that way by the power of the gospel. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.